Alexa, who is Adam Ferrara? Adam Ferrara is an American actor and comedian known for playing the roles of Chief Needles Nelson on Rescue Me, Sergeant Frank Fuelli opposite Edie Falco on Nurse Jackie. He was a co-host on the U.S. version of Top Gear. He has had three Comedy Central specials and his new album is called It's Scary In Here. Adam's new podcast is a big hit and available everywhere. Sounds like it could be funny. Sounds to me like 30 minutes you'll never get back. Hi guys, thank you for coming back or checking us out for the first time. Either way, you know we're glad you're here. We have another great show for you this week. I am very excited about our guest in the ADD interview. We know Adam. Yes. Mm -hmm. It is the legendary Nathan Lane. <laughs> He's great. Yeah. So cool. And we want to welcome everyone from our Talk To Me Tuesday family, which is our conversation we have every week, 9 o'clock Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. Go to my website, click the link, and join us. And our super fan shout-out is for Penny. Penny. Hello, Penny. Penny. Penny Lane. And Penny sent us an email. It says, my mother and I were on a long drive, and we found your podcast. We both loved you on Nurse Jackie, but didn't know you were a stand-up as well, which should express to you the visibility of my stand-up career. <laughs> well, it's hard for people. It's a fast-moving world, There's Adam. a lot going on. It's a fast-moving world. <laughs> uh, we binged a bunch of the episodes, and we really laughed and enjoyed everyone. We feel like we know you guys and wanted to thank you for that. You obviously care for each other and make fun of each other the same way we do in our family. Keep up the good work. Penny. Oh, that's lovely. That's yeah, great. Nice. I love it when people take the time to write. Yeah. It means a lot. Hi. We didn't know you did this. <laughs> Adam. <Yeah. laughs> okay. So would it be fair to say that, that, that I revealed something about myself that they didn't know? Yes, you added to what they knew of you. Oh. It's nice, actually. Okay, good. Because Phil did that at Izzy's. He, the server thought he was a nice oh, guy. And then when he left, she thought he was a lunatic. <laughs> <laughs> I, all I think is, what did you do now, Phil? <laughs> Phil and I are working on a script. He's been working so hard. I'm like, come on out. I'll buy you breakfast. Izzy's is this little deli we go to all the time. Love yeah. Izzy's. So I said, come on, I'll buy you breakfast at Izzy's. They got outdoor tables, there's umbrellas, it's nice, we're six feet apart, I wear a mask, mm -hmm. the whole thing. So, okay, fine. So he's outside, he meets me, I pull in, I see him sitting there with his little mask, he's sitting there. I, I don't have my mask on because I'm in my car. There's no one around me, so I got the mask. It's it's hanging off my ear. It's dangling because I'm sexy. <laughs> You're dangling. Well, come hither look, right? That's right. So I go up, <laughs> we order breakfast, and Phil says, would you like a potato? And I said, no, maybe later. So we're talking. We're going over the script. All of a sudden, I feel the urge to have a potato. Okay. So I reached over with my fork. I stabbed mm -hmm. a potato. I ate it. And Phil had a stroke. I did. Because you reached across the table with your germy fork. And by the way, I didn't say, would you like a potato, Adam? I just, I just said, hey, you want a potato? Like at the beginning of the whole thing. Would you like a potato? Because you didn't have any. That's, I was being generous. I was being nice. How were you going to were you going to chew the potato and feed me like a baby bird? How were you no. planning on giving me the potato you offered me that you use the pick up the knife? You're not eating with the knife. The knife's just sitting there. Pick it up on one end and pick it up with the knife I, or the spoon. I, I disagree. One good stab to a potato. Bring it to your plate. No harm, no foul. Exactly. I He's touching my plate with his germ. What if, what if COVID's on his fork? What if it's on his fork? If it's on his fork, then it's in the potato that I just put no, in my mouth. No, it's on my plate now. Now it's on my plate. It's not on your plate. It's in the piece of potato I just put in my mouth. Oh no, my the, the, the friggin' the, the virus flies around. It flew off your fork right oh. onto my plate. Oh, I couldn't eat anymore. I didn't even eat. You owe me a fucking omelet. Yeah, Bill, you're you're crazy. He is. I'm, cr I'm crazy. I'm trying to be responsible. No, okay, I, you know. Why don't you just lick my face? Why don't you just do that? But but, but I don't understand. I had a fork. I just reached out to get a piece of potato that never touched you or your plate. Yeah. You don't you don't do that in a pandemic. I'm I'm sorry. This is my first pandemic. Please forgive <laughs> me. I didn't know that. I wrote a book on pandemics. <laughs> yeah, you do it on the purpose because you knew I was going to freak out. You do it on purpose. Same thing. We just stuck your finger in my ear. It's the same thing. That was your fault. You know, my fault. Yeah, yes. my God. Yeah, yeah. Um, forgive me for my ear getting in the way of your finger. Phil, I just wanted a piece of potato. I had no idea you were going to react this way. I mean, I'm glad you did because I'm enjoying it. But <laughs> yeah, that's what you do. You don't care, Adam. You're willing to. You're willing to risk my life for a laugh. That's what you're. That's what you're doing. Not every day. Adam, you can have my potato any day. Thank you, baby. Anytime. So anyway, so then the server comes back and she sees Phil scolding me. 
Okay. So she knows. So now we have an independent arbiter out there, yeah. right? Yeah, okay, let's hear and it. And she's like, yeah. and, she, and, she, and, and so so Phil, Phil always feels the need to drag innocent people into the crazy shit that happened. Oh, my God. <laughs> you, you're the one that asked her. Listen, let, let me ask you, whatever her name was, let me ask you a question. I, what do you mean, I, when, whatever? Her name was Anna. She was lovely. Oh, her fa- okay. her parents own a cleaner in Monrovia right oh by Pasadena. God. Oh, my I had a nice wonderful plug. conversation with her. There's something really wrong with you. She goes, is everything all right? <laughs> and F- Phil doesn't say anything, but 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 Phil's face is like, does it look like I'm all right? <laughs> so I asked her. I said, Anna, may I ask your opinion? <laughs> so I explained that Phil offered me a potato. I stabbed the potato. I took it back, and and she's and she was clearly on my side. Uh, I'm on your side. She said, I'm taking the fifth. Of course she's taking the fifth. Because- and no, because because she knew I was right and you were wrong and you were the one asking her. She took the fifth to not embarrass you because she wanted a tip. Yeah, I, I agree with you. She didn't know who was paying, so she didn't want to piss anybody off. And Phil, of course, was very irate and very close to the knife that was on the table. <laughs> you see, I have a different take on it. What is it? She wanted you both the hell out, out of her table. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly what it was. I'm sure she did. She's like, get out of here, guys. Who the hell are these clowns? Uh, Phil, I'm sorry. I I was just trying to get a potato. The fact that you were upset. I didn't mean to upset you, but the fact that it did upset you was just like a little bonus for me. Yes, (laughs) I Potato gate. Yes, we'll call this potato gate. But the point is, (laughs) the point is you changed the server's impression of you. She thought you were something when you came in. And believe me, when you left, she thought you were something else. Uh, Have fun eating alone. And Nathan did something to change other people's perception of him as well. Give a listen to this, and we'll see you on the other side. Your tail manners speak volumes about your refinement, and it's often interpreted as a sign of character. Your host and your dining partners will greatly appreciate your manners. Why don't you just lick my face? Why don't you just do that? You're listening to the Adam Ferrara Podcast. This is 30 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. I'm up to here with this crap! They say exercise is good for depression, and I try. I really do. I will spend the whole day in my gym clothes. <laughs> my wife came home. I was asleep on the couch. I like, are you sleeping on the couch in those sweaty clothes? Relax, they're clean. I never made it. I've been here all day. <laughs> that joke is from my new comedy album called It's Scary in Here. If you'd like to get the album, you can go to the show notes and just click the link. And today, Thursday, September 17th, I am the featured artist at Sirius XM Radio, Raw Dog Channel 99. Today at 2 p.m. and then again at 10 p.m., they will be playing the album in its entirety. Yes, 2 o'clock and 10 o'clock today, you can hear the whole album. And I want to thank you guys so much for all the love and support you've shown me and this podcast. Go on, get out of here. Pay attention when I'm talking to you, boy. ADHD, it's not just for kids. Nice boy, but doesn't listen to a word you say. Welcome to the ADD interview. It's not that you're not interesting, it's just that I can't focus. And my guest this week is... Oh, look, a bird! My guest this week was the first name on my list when I started this podcast. No. Oh, yeah. (laughs) No, no. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You start low and work your way up, is that it? (laughs) I don't think I'm starting low. He has won six Tony Awards, six Drama Desk Awards. Six? No, I've only I've been nominated six times. I've won three Tony Awards. Six? Oh, so it's three Tonys? I, I, I don't need more than three Tonys. That would be just too gay. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we got three Tonys? Yes. All right. He has won three Tony Awards. He has won, you know how many Drama Desk Awards you've won? Uh, 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 six. six. Six Drama Desk Awards. Do you know how many times you were nominated for a primetime Emmy? Six. That is six. correct. Now the, the the omen six six six. Yes, it's, <clears throat> there might be a, a sign here. All right, now it's the bonus round. How many Golden uh-huh. Globes? Uh, twice I've been nominated for the Golden Globe. All right, you've also won a Screen Actors Guild Award. Yes, you've won a People's Choice Award. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. Why not? You're yeah, a- I know. I was that's when I was hot in the nineties. <laughs> a solid twenty minutes. Yeah. You have a star on a Hollywood Walk of Fame. Uh, yes, I do. Uh, yes, uh, the, Matthew Broderick and I got it on the same day. He's right. He's right next to me. <laughs> right, right. 
on in front of the I guess it's the is it the Kodak Theater? Yeah, there on Hollywood Boulevard. Yes, yes, yeah. very, a great honor. You, if you have the money, if you, <laughs> uh, if you can afford it, yeah. it's a wonderful little thing to have. <laughs> but uh, I'm sure someone more popular will be moved into that space soon. Well, you also have a two-for-one coupon at Scoop Du Jour Frozen Yogurt in East Hampton. <laughs> of course. Mm-hmm. That's well, that's once they give you the keys to your house, then you get that. Too. All right, good. It also it expires on Thursday, just so you know. All right. Well, and, now I have something to live for. And yeah. you have Eugene O'Neill's underwear on your wall. Well, that's right. I revealed that uh, to Stephen Colbert recently yes a, a friend a great friend of mine a wonderful uh writer director named doug mcgrath um knew some people <laughs> who, i don't know how interesting a story it is but it, he knew some people who had um i i'm trying to i'm trying to remember now he he actually sent it to me in an email that they they, they knew someone they ran a bookstore and they knew someone who had worked for o'neill mm-hmm. and 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 then after they he died they they there were some things left they just left a lot of stuff in a house and one of the things uh, they left behind was a pair of his monogrammed boxer shorts <laughs> and the people who ran this uh, bookstore and 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 antique store um, framed the underwear and and prominently against a blue background with and you see Eugene O'Neill on on the on the top of the the shorts it's um yeah it <laughs> it was it was certainly a novelty item i was not expecting yeah um you know the uh, the blue bloomers of a, a great tragic playwright yeah and you you did the iceman comment I did. You know, I was thinking there's a part for you in the Iceman coming. Yeah. I, I'm not what doing the, that monologue at the end. Seems like a lot of work. If they ever do, if they ever do it again, you should um, inquire about the role of Rocky. Okay. It's a great, great part. And you would be wonderful in it. Um, it's a big part. Anyway, yes, it's, um, well, that's a long story. But I, uh, yes, I, I did do <laughs> Uh, wind up doing. I was feeling at a at a crossroads in mm-hmm. my life and career, and um, while I was doing a a, a, a a musical called The Adams Family, which had been reviled by the critics, <laughs> but was sort of a popular success. People wanted; they didn't care that it wasn't Pixie, yeah. um, so they wanted to see it. So I was there for a while, and um, and I started to think. Um, uh, I wonder if I could change people's perception mm-hmm. of whatever that might be and, and, and challenge myself and the audience. And because I felt I had more to offer as an actor and it was a life changing experience as an actor. It was the best thing I could have done for myself because it it scared me. It yeah. was, it, it was, uh, it was, I wanted to feel that way again to think, I don't know if I can pull this off. I had the same experience being scared in a professional situation where I, I, I had a I was forced to find my own resources. You actively went out and courted that. You know, most guys uh, are just, you know, listen, I can sing and dance the rest of my life and have a nice life. Yes. May, most people would have preferred that. Yeah. I, they, <laughs> I had to see wanted, you do that. Well, <laughs> it's what happens. There's so yeah. many people in show business. They tend to put you in a box. And yeah. you, you You just do that and everything will be fine. And uh, so, yes, uh, I mean, I don't, you know, as an actor, I, I don't have any power in film or television, but I have a little bit of clout in the theater mm. enough to to have gotten this production started. And and um, so, uh, yes, I think you have to do it yourself. I mean, no one's going to do it for you. No one's going to come to you and say, my God, you're you're not tapping into all of your resources. Let me produce the Iceman Cometh for you. You know, you have to do it yeah. and take that initiative. Now, believe me, when, you know, I went, I had 10 months to prepare and I, I worked for the first time with an acting coach, with the, the, this great coach, Larry Moss, because it's such an enormous role. And, and, um, and yes, it, as you mentioned, it ends uh, in the fourth act, the fourth act. Yes. 
yes. Um, <laughs> and I remember <laughs> Jerry Seinfeld and his wife were talking to me about the fact that I was doing it. And then I mentioned the fourth act and they said, oh, they were talking about coming. And then I said, the fourth act. And they said, there's a fourth act. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. I don't know if we're going to make that. Um, so in the fourth act, the hickey, it talks for famously for like 40 minutes, mm -hmm. tells the story of his life. And, and O'Neill um, is asking you to be as brave as he is in the writing. He's asking you to go to the depths of your soul and the darkest places in your psyche and, and jump off this cliff with him emotionally. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's what separates the men from the boys. But I, I knew that's what I needed to do for myself. Mm -hmm. and, and it didn't really matter well, it didn't matter what they were going to say. They were going to say they were going to come in with an agenda and, and you know, the, whatever their feelings were about me. But it was about, really, because you do, like, in a regional theater like the Goodman, you do nine performances and you're reviewed. The, and the New York Times was there. So nine performances of The Iceman cometh is nothing. You're just, you're just yeah, getting... Yeah, it's a five-hour play. Getting your bearings. And so I knew I would be judged quickly... <laughs> And brutally, but it didn't matter. What was really important was, was what happened after while we were doing the run and 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 working on that material. And I remember Brian Dennehy, uh, uh, who sadly just passed, um, said to me, I said to him, give me, just give me a, a, some notes. You've done this. You've done a lot of O'Neill, you know? And he said, I, he said, you're doing great. He said, now, he said, you've You've obviously you you have mapped this out because you had to, yeah. Because it's such an an enormous and complex character. But he said, now throw all that away and just let the play happen to you and see where it takes you. And it was sort of the best advice I could have gotten. And so during the run, it did. I did, you know, I had a couple of breakthroughs, and I, you know, I really, yeah, the more comfortable and familiar with the material. You know, the better I, I and more com and more comfortable um, I, I felt, mm. and and it's it's uh, it was and as I said, it was life changing. And uh, you view everything differently after doing O'Neill. It's just everything seems easier. Yeah. By the way, it's like oh, it's a piece of cake yeah. after the Ice Man cometh. Yeah, yeah. So I highly recommend Eugene O'Neill if you want to shake things up. <laughs> That, that 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 artistic courage to have is something that 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 uh, that's why I have the wife because she's pushing me. Well, that's good. Yeah. Well, it's important. Yeah. I, uh, yes, my husband is incredibly supportive, and I I would never have been able to do some of the things I've done without without that. Yeah. And, and the writing you mentioned the writing. Another thing we have in common. I read um, when Neil Simon passed about his writing spoke to you as it does me. I mean, just the punctuation, the rhythm. The, the lists of everything, I've, I've really just always gravitated towards Neil Simon. And I think, it's a, I think it's an East Coast thing, you know, when someone snaps on the East Coast and there's always a list. I'll tell you what, you know, it always comes out that way. Do you, right. can you, are you at a point in your career where you could see the writing and go, I, I can hear this music? Uh, well, sure. Yeah. It, it, it certainly it happened with Neil Simon or, and, 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 um, and really probably the most with uh, uh, Terrence McNally, mm -hmm. uh, the writer I worked with, you know, over the 30 years, yeah, yeah. Uh, for sure with him. Uh, yeah. I mean, Neil is, you know, that New York Jewish, it all comes from that writer's room for the Sid Caesar show. Yeah. You know, all of those guys, I, and a lot of them uh, I got to work with Larry Gelbart on um, funny thing happened on the way to the forum uh, Neil, Mel Brooks, of course, the producers, and that whatever that sensibility is, I, for some reason, even as a uh, an Irish Catholic kid in Jersey City, I, I, I seem to understand it. Yeah, and, and it was a part of me. Um, and Neil was just, you know, he uh, was like a hero to me when I was a kid. I, I had joined what was called a, a play of the month club called the fireside theater. And the first play they sent me was a copy of the odd couple, you know, a hardcover copy with these great Martha Swope, black and white photographs of the Broadway production starring Art Carney and, and 
Walter Matthau. And it was so exciting. And I can remember taking it to school with me and putting it in a geography book we were supposed to be reading and reading, reading the odd couple. <laughs> and, um, and I always, and I like, I, you know, I, I screamed with laughter at one point over something that one of the poker players said about mm-hmm. Felix. Um, and oh, it was, uh, no, it was about, he's referring, referencing uh, Murray the Cop and Vinny talking about how well made the sandwich was. And he says, this was one of um, He says, are you listening to this? Martha and Gertrude at the Automat. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, like that was the most hilarious thing I'd ever heard in, in my young life. So to get to finally, eventually get to work with him, uh, I first, I did a national tour of his play Broadway Bound and, and, and then uh, did a, uh, an original play of his called Laughter on 23rd Floor about Sid Caesar in the writer's room in which I played the, the Sid Caesar inspired character. So I really got to see him out of town, you know, writing and rewriting and changing things. And, and I can remember him sitting in the audience one day during rehearsal and I was walking by and I said, hi. And I was sort of brazen. I said, what are you, what are you writing there? What are you doing? And he had a, he had a legal pad. He wrote, longhand on a yellow legal pad and he said i'm writing a speech for you actually he said and he said well you know we'll put it in in a few days after you've had some time to absorb it and i said oh give it to me i'll I'll put it in tonight and and so he loved that enthusiasm and and uh that i was willing to put in new material right away and so and i do remember and i remember because of it he he rewrote my the first scene i was in I mean, 25 times, you know, trying to get it right and changing lines and fixing things. And, and so to have had that experience with him was, was the thrill of a lifetime. And, and uh, uh, you know, and I, I honor, uh, got to honor him at the Kennedy Center Honors and when he won the Mark Twain Prize. He was, you know, I, I just loved him. And then we did uh, this revival of The Odd Couple, uh, Matthew Broderick yeah, yeah. and I. And so I got to bring in that copy of the play that I still had when I was a kid from the Fireside Theater and get him to sign it. And he so, did? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that is that is so cool. That's another, I, The Odd Couple was a very important TV show for me because I found it, you know, you're a Jersey kid, I'm Long Island, and you know, 11 o'clock on, on Channel 11 is The Odd Couple, and uh, right. 11.30 was The Honeymoon, and you go to bed. <laughs> Absolutely. But, <laughs> I gravitated towards toward and uh, Gary Marshall did the TV show, so I I gravitated towards that show, and I got to you got to meet Neil. I got to meet Jack Klugman. Um, oh sure, Matt, yes. Sent him a letter. He invited me yeah. to dinner. Two oh. and a half hours. We're sitting at the dinner table. He's just telling stories, and it yeah. was surreal. And when I uh, when I saw the you, you on Colbert, you have Walter Matthau's autographed picture. With the pigeon oh yes, sister. there's a picture. Yes, right here, Walter. Walter and uh, yes, and and one of Gleason and Carney too that's signed. Oh, yeah. did you did you meet Gleason? No, I I know no. no, I missed that too. Oh, I did talk to Art Carney on the phone once, many years ago. I was we were trying to develop a, a film about Gleason, mm-hmm. and so I was talking to people who knew him or had worked with him, and and. Um, and Art Carney, I, 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 he had not been uh, uh, feeling very well, and, mm-hmm. and so it, it was sort of put off for a long time. And finally, they said, "Oh, he's he's doing okay, and he'd be happy to talk to you about this." And so I was very nervous getting on the phone with Art Carney. Yeah, and uh, I had to call him. I was living in L.A. at the time, and I had I was calling him, and uh, his wife got on, and she was really lovely, and he said, "Oh, he's." He's really looking forward to chatting and there was this big buildup and I was thinking, oh, he'll get on and he'll be very frail and fragile. And I was very, very nervous just to speak to him. And he got on and he said, hey, Nathan, what's shaking? <laughs> very much the the Art Carney you you knew from all those years. Mm-hmm. And uh, and he couldn't have been lovelier or more charming. And, and uh you know, he talked to, you know, he was always very diplomatic when mm. talking about Gleason, you know, and how how generous he had been to him. And, mm. and but he said, you know, people made the assumption that they were very, very close friends because of the show. And yeah. he said he really didn't socialize at all. 
Um, and it was really the relationship was what you saw in, yeah. in, in the honeymooners. So, but yeah, you 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 hold that place for me. Like I didn't get to to meet Gleason, but I got yeah. You're you're on my Mount Rushmore. Robin was as well, and I got to meet him. Yeah, and I got to uh, uh, oh, I got wow. to I, a couple times at the Comedy yeah, Cellar. I got thanks. to sit with him. He said the funniest, most self aware thing. I'm, I'm telling you, uh, he said the funniest, most self aware thing. He's like, Adam, I know you're very funny. Uh, I can't go down and watch your set because you'll say something. It'll go in my head. I'll say it on Letterman. You'll sue me, and I don't want to write any more checks. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, he did, you know, he would absorb. I mean, yeah. he was so, um, the way his mind worked, it was like a big satellite that took in all of these different um, uh, things and, and was, uh, yes. I mean, yes, I obviously, the you know, the, the I, I've heard many stories of, the, the, especially when he was younger, yeah. that, that perhaps someone else's act might pop up in his. Or Dana Carvey told me once that um, he walked into a club in San Francisco and Robin was on stage doing mm. one of his bits and that Robin saw him from the stage and said, oops, wrong club. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, but it's, it's that I think he lived and I, I don't know. I can only assume like when you said well, you, you, you did all that when Dana, he said you do all the work and then you throw it away. It's the same thing for my process. Is like I build the monkey bars and then I could swing. I think right. he was just open and swinging, you know. And yeah, and I, I, you know, and I'm sure he took maybe something and then made it his own, or yeah. you know, you know, and riffed on it. And you know, I, I think that was, I think that was very much in his early days. Mm. And and uh, I don't, although you know, yeah, no, I always, you know, believe me, I would see him just go go off on an improvisation between takes you know just to entertain everyone and and it was it was remarkable what yeah. he could come up with so i mean it's not like he needed to, to do the to lift no. material but i i think he he really it really was in in a way just him absorbing things went into his head and he would forget sometimes work yeah. people he gave me he opened the door for me and you opened the door for me, and I'll tell you exactly. I, I I remember the moment vividly. 1996, Birdcage comes out. I'm doing stand up. I got my first acting gig on a sitcom. Um, I got away with it, but I realized I have no, I love this, and I have no idea what I'm doing. I go to see the movie. The scene where you come out of the bathroom in the seat, in the suit, uh, trying to be straight looking to sit down, and right. and, and Robin and his, the the what you showed me was what was possible, non-verbally possible. The beats that oh. you put in there, the arm, the way you crossed your face, you didn't rush it, you were just sitting there, and then at the end of it, you went, what? And it's just, the, it built to that. And I, I, the craftsmanship of that is just, that's when a door opened in my head and I went, look, it's the same thing when I heard prior, I go, look what this man can do. Oh, well, thank you. That's very, very kind of you. I mean, you know, I really just stole so much from the French film. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Fall? But yeah, with uh, Michel Ugo, Ugo Tognazzi, uh, the Italian, and and Michel Soro, who had done that character for years. I mm -hmm. mean, there was, a, there was a play first. He was part of a comedy team. Uh, Jean Poiret and Michel Soro. Mm -hmm. They used to do television and they did their comedy act and then Jean, po Jean Poiré wrote a play called Le Cage for them to do in Paris and it was a runaway success and ran for several years he did it, that part so by the time he got to do it on film right you know do every inch of it and and uh, and if you've ever seen it it's a it's one of the great comic performances so I certainly took whatever I could mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> You know, down down to the high pitched screams. I mean, mm -hmm. that's what he did in almost every scene. There was a, a high pitched scream. Mm -hmm. and I, well, that's too good to, to let go. <laughs> so I think I'll be doing that. Um, and, but look, that was just a uh, just such a great opportunity and a, a real break for me. You know, getting to work with Mike Nichols and Elaine May, yeah. and Robin, Gene Hackman. It was. I, I had the album. I, I I stole the album from the public library, Nichols and May. Oh, sure. Yeah. I brought that to the set. Got you did? Side. 
Yes. Um, yeah. An Evening with Nichols and May. Yes. Or yeah. All, all of those albums, you know, just landmark. Yeah. Stuff. And uh, to be with them, you know, to see them together, sort of re really sort of officially reuniting. I think she had helped him on the uh, film he did called Wolf before this. And he they had always wanted to do La Caja Fall um, as a remake. And, and so that was sort of their uh, big reunion. Uh, and uh, it was a very happy experience. Yeah. Elaine is just, you know. Well, it's brilliant. when you get to work, have you ever Woman, been, ever. have you ever been um, a, a little twitchy or intimidated? I know we, we discussed the, uh, talking to R. Carney, but. Have you ever been to work with somebody? I mean, you work with George C. Scott. Well, sure, he made everyone twitchy. Um, <laughs> yeah, including the Germans. <laughs> there was some. Uh, well, you can intimidate Germans. Drinking involved. Um, yeah, no, George was. Uh, he was a George C. Scott was uh, for people who don't remember, and uh, I'm sure there are many. Was a great, great actor, stage and film actor, who probably best remembered for, uh, yes, playing Patton, uh, George Patton in mm -hmm. the film. But um, he was a great stage actor. But yes, but a, a very, you know, he was an alcoholic or he, he would discuss in interviews that he was a functioning alcoholic. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, he was, he was very intimidating, but he was very uh, paternal with me. It was that that was my Broadway debut. Mm -hmm. I was, I would, you know, I would have done anything he asked. You know, he was, it was just, I couldn't believe I was uh, standing on a stage with him, but he was very kind to me. And um, he was not always so kind to people. <laughs> um, yeah. he, could be, he could be, uh, you know, a yeah. difficult personality. I understand. But uh, he was, that experience was a great one. And then I, then I worked with him nine years later. He asked me to do another play with him. Mm -hmm. uh, this Paul Osborne play called On Borrowed Time. So, um, yeah, no, he, you know, it's it's a shame. He was very self-destructive and, and uh, but um, he was, he certainly, you know, yeah. all of his flaws, he's a, he was a great, great actor. And to stand on a stage with him was it was electric. Mm. Are you? Um, I I think people that go into this professional line of work, I think we're a little banged up, you know, uh, emotionally. Do you think? Uh, do are you aware of of what? Uh, I like I like your what? I'm sorry, you broke up. Well, I like your Marty Short. You know, he he sort of he was had a, a childhood that was I mean, that, uh, that was very happy, I think. Mm -hmm. So it can happen. You can be very funny. He's who's funnier than Marty Short. Yeah. So that. Uh, yeah. Um, I, so you're asking, am I aware of my of whatever damage yeah. I carry? Are, are you aware of of, of yeah. What, what do you, are you aware of um, what you're trying to fill the hole you're trying to fill or, or what need you're trying to meet? <laughs> I'm still trying to fill it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, yes, obviously, yes. Yes, of course. Mm -hmm. And uh, some of that has has subsided and um priorities and, and, and so forth. But um yeah, I, I think there's always there's a there is a small part of you that it's it's still wanting to be noticed or loved mm -hmm. or something you didn't get when you were young. And there are remnants of it. Yeah. Hopefully you've grown and evolved as a person and through therapy and, uh, and, uh, and experience. But um, yeah, there's probably always a little bit of that in there yeah. somewhere. And then when you get it, here's what I, here's what as long I, as you're aware of it. Yeah. Oh, where I'm, it's coming from. There's also another part to that. And you, I read this quote and I went, ah, shit, I got to ask him. You're like, I can find a dark cloud in any silver lining. <laughs> well, Sure. Yeah. 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 See, and, and yes, that's true. Uh, um, uh, I, there's a little bit of Eeyore in me, mm -hmm. but um, uh, that came out of a, it, it, actually it, it came, it led to something positive, which is something we were talking about before, but there was a, while I, when I was doing, as I was saying, the Adams family, uh, uh, Charles Isherwood, who was working at the Times then, wrote a piece about me, a, a very flattering, complimentary piece, a, a sort of a career assessment mm -hmm. piece. 
And he said, I was the last of the great entertainers, something along those lines. And, and uh, as flattering as it all was, and I was very touched by it, I also, it, it sort of nagged at me mm. that that's what, what he thought, that I was just an entertainer. When I'd been an actor for, you know, now, uh, at least for 45 years. So, uh, it's, and that's what led to me thinking more and more about, I, 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 need, to, I need to do something about that mm. to see if I can um, challenge myself more and not just be pigeonholed as the a comedian or as a, you know, someone who's, you know, I, it's not like a, a, a musicals, you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, which, um, you know, I, I, I didn't really set out to do, but I, I was fortunate in that a, a, a couple of them were, became, were very successful. And, and um, I'm going to go with the word huge. Just a couple. Uh, believe me, um, I've done others, but but um, I was you know I was the was it that no that was you know Guys and Dolls really mm-hmm. this revival of Guys and Dolls that I did in in 1992 with Jerry Zaks that was sort of a big because it was Guys and Dolls you yeah. know and hadn't hadn't seen it in a while so it was uh, and it was a uh, it's a very fondly remembered uh, revival of it but um, that was sort of what led me on that path for a while. Mm-hmm. And that's where you got your, uh, your name, I read. Uh, it's, it's true. Yes. <laughs> it's true. That one's true. When I, when I, when I, uh, I, would, I was joining Actors Equity, there, uh, my real name is Joe Lane, Joseph mm-hmm. Lane, and it was already a Joseph Lane in Actors Equity, and they said I had to change my name. And I had played Nathan Detroit at age 21 mm-hmm. in a non-equity dinner theater in Cedar Grove, New Jersey, the Meadowbrook Dinner Theater. Mm-hmm. And I played Nathan Detroit and loved the character so much, I decided to call myself Nathan. Yeah. Yeah. And that later got to do it on Broadway, which is uh, it, unbelievable. Now, you didn't set out to do musicals, but you did. You did deliver singing telegrams. Oh, yes. Yes, sure. Yes. How'd you uh, get I, that gig? Well, because, you know, I didn't, I couldn't wait tables. I wasn't mm-hmm. good at that. That's, I just couldn't bring myself to do it. And that was where you, where you could really make money. If, you know, if, if I, I could never convincingly say, I'll be back in a minute to tell you the specials. <laughs> so um, I, so I did all sorts of selling things by phone, tele, TV guide and, right. and, uh, uh, uh um, doing various Harris polls, sur- surveys, that stuff, and and then uh, singing telegrams. I, they would give you a, a a very cheap tuxedo and a felt top hat, and you would have to go <laughs> to someone's office and sing uh, about their birthday to a to a, a public domain song like the William Tell Overture, for example, <laughs> was used a lot for birthdays. <laughs> Yes. So um, why it had to be public domain, I don't know. It's I can't imagine someone finding out about right. going to an office in lower Manhattan to sing something. But there you are. Um, legally, I guess they had to. So, yes, I did that for a, a while. Mm-hmm. Yes. And the, the first thing, um, there was a story I read uh, where and it's where you. Because you were in a comedy team, but it, you, for you, you, you got acquainted yes. with doing stand-up. Uh, if I remember the story correctly, you're delivering a, a singing telegram to an Italian wedding. Yes, and you got in a fight with the accordion player. Well, not a fight, but he um, he looked down on me. <laughs> really? And you know things are bad when you're uh, an accordion player is looking down on you. <laughs> um, so uh, there was yes, there was an accordion player. And I was asked to sing uh, congratulations to the the newly married couple, and he sort of accompanied me. And then he made he made some jokes about me or something, and I I said something back, and they they all laughed and applauded. And then and then I so I said, well, thank you very much. And I started to go, and they said, no, don't go, keep talking. <laughs> That's what they said. Yeah, people. No, no, don't go. It's all Italians. No, no, no. They scared me. They keep talking. And so I told them. I talked about my life. <laughs> the very large group therapy session. 
but I was the only one talking. And then, so I told him about my life as a struggling New York actor. And then at the end of it, people threw money at me that I picked up, you know? Hell yeah. I thought, well, maybe there's something to it standing on a stage. And then I went, I went and I tried it out at the comic strip. Mm -hmm. I went to an open mic night. Right. By myself, and I wrote a little. I had written a little act, mm-hmm. and I got up, and it was very late. You know, it was a, a past two in the morning. Right. It, and there were there were like a group of kids who were leaving, who had graduated, you know, or something. It was a graduation party, and they right. were leaving, and there were very few people. And I got up, and and it was uh, disastrous. And and I, you know, it was just. I don't even know if there was enough to say I bombed. Right. But there, something bad happened, and then I said something like along the lines of, "Oh, I, I got to get home and finish my suicide note," and <laughs> and left the stage. Right. And I was incredibly depressed. A friend of mine came with me. So he actually witnessed this public death. And we we walked for a very long time and talked about it all and what it meant. And, mm. and um, uh, so I didn't, I ne- you know, I have a, a, a tremendous respect for anyone who does stand-up comedy. I think it's, it is an art form and it's when it's done well um, in particular. And I, uh, it was never sort of in my heart to to follow through on that yeah I, as much as i admired uh the the art form and um uh, although eventually what happened was i did a little um review uh where i worked with an actor this very tall guy who who was very funny named patrick stack and we we did a lot of sketches together and people said we were funny together and eventually he and i did put an act together but it was more it was sketches and we went around and, and sometimes it went well and sometimes it didn't, you know, it was not nightclubs were not always conducive to the, that kind of sketch material. Yeah. People were used to a different rhythm. So if you, you know, you would, if you got up and said, we take you now to a bar somewhere in Manhattan, sometimes they didn't want to go. <laughs> so we were doing characters and, you know, yeah. And uh, anyway, we did it for a few years, and we uh, uh, he stayed in L.A., and I went back to New York, and yeah. and um, you know, but, for, but the, so it was, but a great learning experience. And the creation of that, um, that's what I like on set is when you're working with somebody else, and you can find something together in the space in rehearsal and stuff. It's like I did a, a movie with a, a mutual friend, Andrea Martin, and we had to, uh, right. so we had to find funny stuff, and then and yeah. And we made each other laugh. And we couldn't come up with a line. I go, just hit me in the back. You're my mother. Hit me in the back of the head. And Nathan, I, one scene, I'm getting whacked in every friggin' scene now. <laughs> yeah, I know. She she really takes a suggestion and runs with it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. That can be, you know, yep. look, it, it, it can be fun sometimes. Yep. If, you know, they're, if they're asking you to, you know, improvise a bit and make it funnier. Now, do you, do you like that? Or do you like to just come in prepared? I, it seems to me like you, you like to, like we said before, build a, build the monkey bars and then just start swinging. Well, I, it depends on what it is. I mean, I, I, I sure. I mean, I, 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 I enjoy improvising, mm-hmm. a little, but you know, the, this, the show that I just did uh, for Showtime, um, Penny Dreadful City of Angels, is, is is written and created by a wonderful, wonderful writer, John Logan. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, it's very, you know, it's about the writing. You know, no one's improvising, no, yeah. you know. Uh, I mean, he's very collaborative. And if you thought of something, you know, you could make a suggestion, but it's, uh, and also it's a, it's a drama. So it's, it's a little different, but, um, but sure, I, I enjoy it. Yeah, Good. I had, uh, I had Brent's, uh, I had Brent Spiner on, um, who's oh, your, yeah. your cast Wonderful mate. Spot. Yeah. Yeah. And the sh- I saw the show and it, it's like, it's almost like a sci-fi Raymond Chandler. That's right. Yeah. Raymond Chandler meets Rod Serling. Yeah. Because it, yeah. ta- it takes place in uh, 1930. It's pre-war, pre-World War II L.A. 1938 L.A. Yes. And, yeah. and you play a Jewish detective. So there's no, there's no crime fighting Friday nights after sundown. <laughs> that's that's right okay that is that's correct 
uh, <laughs> well, and it, yeah, he, they're trying to solve, he and, uh, he's, he's partnered with, uh, uh, this young first time Chicano detective on, uh, on the force in 1938, um, played by a terrific actor named Daniel Zavato. And, and I'm sort of his mentor and, and I, I, I partner with him because no one else would. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so that's a, a wonderful relationship and, and, um, yeah, no, no, it's, it was a great, I loved doing it. It was, um, the material was great. And, and it's, and certainly, um, for me, it was the most complex character, uh, um, that I've gotten to put on film. Mm-hmm. So it was, a just, a, a wonderful opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you do it, you do it very well. And the comedy you oh, do very well. And it's the, the you. people you got to meet and work with. It's Mel Brooks. Mel, you had uh, you and Devil and your husband had movie night with Carl Reiner and Mel Brooks. Uh, we did. That was oh, it's so it, it very sad that uh, Carl has 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 left the building. Mm-hmm. He was um, such uh, a giant and and such a just a, a, an incredibly kind, uh, gracious person. And uh, yes, we I I was in L.A doing um the people versus oj mm-hmm. and it was mm-hmm. a very old movie because uh it was called random harvest uh, i guess uh, I, mel had told them i had told him i hadn't seen it and one of the things he enjoyed was to share a movie with someone and and watch their reaction to it because i guess there were in in random harvest there were many twists and turns mm-hmm. in the plot okay. and um so we had this dinner and he he Mel had it all timed out and we went over to Carl's house and and we, we sat down and he had this big Barker lounger and he had the biggest big screen TV I have ever seen in my life. It was mm-hmm. enormous. And um, and so it was all uh, it was a little intimidating, mm-hmm. you know, because he was sitting there and he had the remote controls and he you know, and he would, uh, he would start the movie and, and he loved every, all the things. There was a film. It's a, it's a very, it's a, it's a very old fashioned kind of melodrama. Right. And uh, amnesia plays a huge part in this uh, film. Ronald Coleman has amnesia mm-hmm. and, you know, and it come it, it goes and it comes and goes. And so um, uh, anyway, he would, you know, every once in a while, Carl would just turn and say, I bet you didn't see that coming. <laughs> would say no I did really I've never seen it before and you know and occasionally he would hit the wrong button and uh, Carl no you hit the fast forward go back go back three scenes now go back go back to when he was in the wheelchair so um it was they were you know and then at the end by the end of the film, they were both in tears and, and saying you know I swear I'm not gonna cry but every time I see it I go to pieces and um so it was, I mean, look, it was one of the great unforgettable thrills of my life to, to, to spend an evening with Mel Brooks and Carl Reiner. Wow. Uh, watching an old movie. Uh, so uh, something I'll always cherish. And one of the things I got to do is I got to speak to you today, and I cannot tell you how much this means to me. Uh, I've, I've admired you for years, and to be able to chat with you for a little bit was, was, was very kind of you, and I thank you. It's my great pleasure, and I'm I'm uh, a, a big fan of yours as well. I've loved your stand-up, and you're you're also a, a terrific actor, and so I'm I'm very happy to to chat. So it's it was a thrill to get to meet you. Best to you and Devlin and the rest of your family, and and to you and your wife. Take care. The Adam Farr Podcast is brought to you by CruiseIntoWellness.com. Now let's say you have stress, like you. Yes. Let's say you have anxiety. Like you? Yes. You know what you should do? You should do what I do. Scream and yell and drive your wife insane? What? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Go to cruiseintowellness.com. They have edibles, tinctures, pain creams, bath products, pet products. Yes, young lady. And the bath bubble thing. And the bath bubble thing when your husband screams and yells and drives you insane. Mm -hmm. 20% off with the coupon code ADAM. Cruiseintowellness.com. Go. Feel better. This is Nathan Lane, and that was 30 Minutes I'll Never Get Back. I got to talk to Nathan Lane. So great. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. I know how much that meant to you, Adam. Yes. And you know what? I consider him 
<laughs> He's smiling. <laughs> I consider him a quadruple threat. He can sing, dance, act, and he's kind. I mean, what a guy. Yeah, I just think, you know, I've loved him, obviously, everything that he's done, but so I admire him as an actor. But the fact that, that he's a fan of yours is so cool and that he wanted yeah. to do the podcast, I just love that. I think it's great. Oh, are you kidding me when he said that? By the way, this is my new ringtone. I've loved your stand-up, and you're also a, a terrific actor. <laughs> oh, it's for me. <laughs> Don't Sorry, think I'm not going to do that. Yeah. Honey, is that my phone? <laughs> I've loved your stand-up, and you're also a, a terrific actor. And... That's great. <laughs> By the way, reminds me what my phone ring used to be. Hmm. We have Dexter fans here in this room, right? Right. Right? You remember Sergeant Dokes, the guy that was really angry at Dexter all the time and always suspected him? Yeah. He jumps... Okay, so he jumps out from behind a shipping container one time, just looks at Dexter and goes, surprise, motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) That became my ringtone because I just love that line. And it's like, uh, I'm sorry, Your Honor. Let me turn my phone off. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Must be a blast in church. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) That's great. Funny. Hold on. That's my phone. I've loved your stand-up and you're also a a terrific actor. Um, I thought it was so cool, by the way, and so funny. He's talking about the, the, the play of Seinfeld. It's like, no, we're totally going to come. Oh, it's four acts? <laughs> yeah, yeah going to be pe- tough. Most people can't sit through two acts. <laughs> right. That, that, that's long. And, 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 that, and that monologue is like 40 minutes where he's just pouring his life out. So, yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> no, that's- and Adam, dude, how cool is it? He wants you to play Rocky in that. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, the play's over, and I'm not going to get the part, but still, just think <laughs> Well, you know, Adam, I had to look that up. What, the because part of Rocky? Because so convinced that okay. you're perfect for the part. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, who's Rocky? Mm-hmm. So I looked it up. To check this out. Rocky, the night bartender. Rocky is a Neapolitan American. Neapolitan. Neapolitan. Oh. <laughs> He's a Neapolitan. He's an ice cream. Is he one of those old Politans we see? Not that a new Not a new Politan. Nah, you got new Politan. This is a new Politan. <laughs> He's Neapolitan. You're an ice cream. Yeah. He's, he's like three layers of ice cream. Yes. How beautiful is my wife? <laughs> okay. In his late 20s, mm-hmm. squat and mas- muscular, mm. sorry, squat and muscular mm. with a swarthy Swathy. Face. I really don't know what that is. Swathy? Yeah. It's like it's Neapolitan. Mm. <laughs> and beady eyes. Beady eyes? Yeah, he's got that. He's got that. No, I don't. Phil, you have beady eyes. <laughs> You've got the beady eyes. No, come on, look. I don't think you have beady eyes. I don't think I got the beady eye. Okay, and then he's tough, <laughs> sentimental, and good-natured. That you are. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that. Okay, his pipe dream involves his refusal to admit to himself that he's a pimp. I won't admit that I'm a pimp. Listen, she sleeps with him. I get a little bit of money. We all got to eat. Yeah. Are you in pimp denial, Adam? What now? Listen. I help some girls get a date. What do you want from me? Listen, you guys, I don't know what you, why you insist on labeling me. I'm just putting people together. That's all I'm trying to do. Yeah. yeah. Excuse me. That's Mr. Iceberg Slim to you. <laughs> I'm a new politan. <laughs> yeah. A new politan pimp. That's oh, funny. Great. <laughs> but did you see what I meant when when he said about changing people's perception? Yeah. 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 He said, listen, I, I'm in the Adams family. They, they think I'm an entertainer. I'm just a song and dance man. I got to do something. I loved it. He was fearless. Yeah. People put you in a certain pigeonhole. Fucking Penny. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, Penny. And uh, you have to show them that you're, you know, other yeah. you have to give people uh you have to teach people who you really are yeah but it does it does backfire you know a lot of times i get like you know because i've, I've been so fortunate to be able to do comedy drama and stand up and stuff and and host the car show and do all this stuff you know it's tough to get in that room if people don't know you as just a straight drama guy or, or it's tough to get in an audition room where people yeah. don't know you as just a straight funny guy so yeah. sometimes i gotta i gotta do that i need to be nathan lane that's what i need to do I need to be that well, friggin' talented. Well, it's yeah. like I, I, he is enormously talented. I mm-hmm. mean, one of the, one of the all time greats. But it's like you said in in Hollywood, in 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 you know where you guys are, they love to pitch and be like, oh no, just do that and then only do that because it works, and we don't want to upset the apple cart. Yeah, just, we can just sell be it. happy with it's, that. It's basically we can sell it too. It's, yeah, 
the yeah. rule is it's usually what you walk in the door with. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if that's all they see or, or, or first start with, you have to show them more. Yeah. So, Phil, when you walk into Izzy's from now on. <laughs> You're the potato guy. You're the potato guy. Anna's going to take a break. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I quit. Oh, my God. It's, it's that guy. That's what it is. It's that guy. That's what she's going to say. And, and what makes you think? What makes you think I'm ever going to Izzy's again with you? What makes you think that's ever going to happen? You get hungry. <laughs> and how cool was it that Nathan and his husband were having movie night with Carl Reiner and Mel Brooks? Yeah. The coolest thing in yeah. the world. Oh my God. Doesn't how great is it? Mel's like, you're hitting the wrong button, Carl. No, it's a fast forward. I mean, how you, you just have to sit there and just go, wow, I'm yeah. really yeah. here. Just yeah. keep slapping your face. Yeah. You know, it's, a, yeah, it's it one of those any cool. situations that only come once in a lifetime. Yeah. I actually had lunch with Mel Brooks and his wife, Anne Bancroft. Stop it. But it didn't start off that way. You're changing my your, my entire perception of you. How did this happen? <laughs> <clears throat> Have to keep you guessing, Adam. Mm-hmm. Um, I was at lunch. They were in the table right next. And where uh, was it? Was this, was this at Izzy's? No, yeah. it was not at Izzy's. It was <laughs> at a hotel. done with potato smell? <laughs> it wasn't at Izzy's. It was at a hotel. Mm. And... I was with someone who knew them, mm-hmm. so they invited us over to their table, and I was just a huge, you know, it's kind of like out of my era, but right. I, you know, I mean, classic is classic and legendary, and sure. certainly mm-hmm. he and his wife, Anne Bancroft, legendary. Mm-hmm. So they were just normal people having lunch, and I didn't say a word, because no. I couldn't. That, that was still cool that you got to do that. It was really cool. You know what yeah. I got to do? I got to talk to Nathan Lane. Did I tell you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I want to have movie night with the Pope, and I want to watch The Exorcist and go, can this really happen? Does this shit really <laughs> Seriously. You'd probably be praying. Level with me, John. Yeah, that's this, good. This scared the shit out of me. Tell me it's not going to happen. <laughs> Who would you want movie night with, Phil? Uh, William Goldman and Steven Spielberg. Ooh. What movie yeah. would you watch? Uh, I don't really care. But whatever it is, I'd be entertained, and I'd learn shit. Because okay. all, they, all they would do is talk about the structure of the scenes and all that. As a screenwriter, it would be heaven. I would love you to have dinner with, uh, have movie night with them, and then them just get drunk and fall asleep, and you'd learn nothing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Stern. Movie Who night. I want to have movie night with? Mm-hmm. That's easy. Margot Robbie. Really? Are you going to yeah. put your hair in pigtails and get a lot of makeup and bring a baseball bat? What? <laughs> We can watch anything she wants to watch. Right. I just want to sit and have my Oh, my night God. That's, that just sounded too <laughs> creepy. <laughs> uh, no, uh, in all seriousness, I would want to have movie night with Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson. I think, first of all, I think they would be so unbelievably fun mm. and would be like, well, Tom, you've made a couple of movies. So whatever one you want to pull out there, we can watch whatever you were in, man. You know, mm-hmm. Sleepless in Seattle, which they're both in. Uh, it'd be great, man. No, just those, those two would be awesome. All right, honey, who do you want to have movie night with? Living or dead? Yeah, living's going to be easier, but if you want to... <laughs> well, I always dreamt about having movie night with John Cassavetti, who's passed. Mm-hmm. But Jenna Rollins, I can still have movie night with. Okay. Because I think they're just so cool how they just said F you to the studio system, mm-hmm. and they went on their way and uh, created their whole um, career. Yeah. Okay, good. Any, uh, any specific movie? A Woman Under the Influence, it's a classic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, what's the other movie I like? Ernest Goes to Camp. <laughs> no, Adam. Right. Not Ernest Goes That's to Camp. That's the one. All right. Oh, you, know what, you, know what, you know what else really made me laugh? Is he got into a fight with an accordion player at an Italian <laughs> wedding when he was delivering a singing telegram. Oh, that was funny. <laughs> how, I mean, Phil, how many weddings have you been to? I could just see it. Jesus. Every wedding, there's always an incident at every wedding mark in my they, yep. they, we're just we're loud people, right? So mm-hmm. there's gonna be as soon as as soon as there's like, as soon as like Uncle Tony has a couple of too many drinks, all right. Those of you who bought gifts, hang on to the receipt. I give it three months. Oh yep. man. Some cousins always with like some bridesmaid in a coat room. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. A- yep. Adam, always. I remember asking you, why is everybody giving the bride and groom envelopes? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, she, she comes to a wedding it. and then everyone's yeah. with the aboost. The Italian's yeah. called the aboost. It's a little uh-huh. silk bag and you give the cash. Yeah. yeah. That's right. She's like, what, does, does people owe people money? No, no, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, and they do it kind of like 
to not let anyone else see them. Yeah. It's like so weird. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you got to understand. Italians, everything is, is a big secret. Everything yeah. is like, you know, you never let anybody, never let anyone outside the family know you're thinking again. <laughs> What? <laughs> this is our family. We can't yeah. trust these fucks. <laughs> and my mother was always like this. Even at all weddings, like, you're going to have a big wedding. I said, Ma, it's not what we want. I don't care. I gave to your cousins. Now it's your turn to get. Yeah, but she did say that. I give so you can get. This isn't about you. This is about me. I love your mom. That's great. <laughs> How funny is that? He's arguing with the accordion player. And they're like, no, no, keep going. We'll throw some money at you. <laughs> it was so great. <laughs> right. at him. It was so it was great. the best. Uh, I cannot tell you how much fun I had talking to Nathan. I was very nervous, but I was so glad I did it. I want to thank him so much for being part of the show. Uh, I want to thank you guys for being with us. Uh, the show is growing, and it's all because of you. Do me a favor. If you get a chance to take a picture of how you are listening to the show, that would help us out a great deal. Just take a screenshot, post it in your Instagram stories, tag us at Adam Ferrara, and we will repost. Did I do that right? Yes, you did. Thank, thank God you're here. If you get a chance to tell a friend, that will help us out as well. If you want to get a message to us, honey, where can they go? Um, to the Adam Ferrara at Gmail. I've loved your stand-up, and you're also a, a terrific actor. I'm so sorry. That's my phone. <laughs> <laughs> oh Thank my you guys God. so much for being here with us. Uh, please remember, life is hard. Take it easy on yourself. The pot has ended. Go in peace. Phil always feels the need to drag innocent people into the crazy shit that happened. Oh, my God. <laughs> you, you're the one that asked her. Listen, let, let me ask you, whatever her name was, let me ask you a question. My name is Alexa. And I'm not getting involved.